Well, good morning. Uh, we are going to be exploring a little-known book in Scripture. In fact, it's such a small little book, it's kind of like a Texas town, a little bit of Texas town that you, you drive through, you blink, you miss it. Uh, it's a book that's one page in Scripture, that it's tucked very neatly and strategically, I might add, between the book of Titus and the book of Hebrews. The book of Titus is a great book that instructs leaders of the church. And then the book of Hebrews, which is a great doctrinal book. But the book of Philemon has none of that. In fact, it's the only book in Scripture that's a personal letter to an individual. It's the only book in Scripture that does not address sin. It does not address history. It does not address a, a way to get back. It doesn't address any of that. What it addresses is something that's very practical for us today. And that is forgiveness, restoration, and usefulness. And it happens that way in our life. It happens in that order. Uh, you see, this book is a letter that's written from a holy, righteous man, the Apostle Paul. And it's written to a godly man that lives in Colossae. This man is a rich man who apparently had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior through the ministry of Paul. But even more so, Paul obviously had discipled this man Philemon on his trip, on his trip from, from Colossae to, to Ephesus. Paul stayed in Ephesus quite frequently. There's about a hundred mile gap between the two. But as Philemon would visit Ephesus, he would spend time with the Apostle Paul and was discipled. Now, it's really interesting that one of his slaves, Onesimus, the slave of Philemon, apparently stole something from his master, fled to Rome, which is 1,200 miles. That's really running, man. When are you going that far? And, and by the way, it, it, it's just amazing how much distance there is, but also what lies between there. He had to go. So Onesimus makes his way to Rome, where for some reason he gets connected to Paul. Now, some believe that Epaphras, who was a minister in Colossae, when he came, he actually found Onesimus and then introduced him to Paul. But it's more likely that Onesimus probably got into trouble in Rome. And more than likely was thrown into jail. At which point, the Apostle Paul led him to Christ. And then he began an amazing thing. Because, you know, the Great Commission, we're all uh, are familiar with that, right? It says, go and make what? Disciples. The, the easy part is for a preacher like myself to get up and proclaim Christ, someone to accept Christ. And someone respond to the Holy Spirit and do that. The hard work takes place in discipleship, does it not? Because that takes a long period of time. That's a transformational kind of thing that takes place. And what we're talking about here is Paul not just leading them to Christ, leading them to Christ, but also getting them to know Christ and to know the ways of God by discipleship. And so that's the picture we have. So now Paul has discipled two people. It's real interesting. Our story begins actually a 
Well, I'm going to have to get you to do this because this is not, not working. It begins in Rome. It's up in the upper right-hand corner. You can see Rome, uh, and that's where the Apostle Paul is in jail. And then you look at Colossae, which is 1,200 miles from Rome. Ephesus is between the two. That's where the Apostle Paul was residing when he ran into Philemon. And that there's 1,200 miles. Now, that distance is ancient 1,200 miles. My wife and my granddaughter and I went to go visit one of our other granddaughters in California. We drove from Dallas to L.A. That's about, uh, about 1,100 miles distance. It took us about two and a half days by car. It took us about that length of time, and during that period of time, it was easy because we had roads to go on. But in the ancient world, there were little roads, few roads, and you had to make your way across an ocean or two. And in this case, that's, that's quite a distance. So it was not easy for them to go there. And uh, they would, if, or, the, the problem that they had was that they wanted to get a message from one point to the other. They didn't have email. We didn't have any of that. So what they had was foot. Uh, they had a few boats, and that was it. Go ahead, next slide. It's interesting that, I don't know whether you noticed it or not, but in the play, there were a number of letters that were handed by the Apostle Paul. Uh, he is believed that those letters consisted of Book of Colossians and Philemon, for sure. But many scholars believe also the book of Ephesus, the book of uh, book um, the, the letter to the Philippines, the Philippians. Excuse me, not Philippines. That was a little later. <laughs> <laughs> and to a little-known book called the book of Laodicea. Now that didn't make scripture, but it is referenced in the book of Colossians. So they were carrying a treasure with them when they left Rome to go back to Colossae. That treasure is something that we experience today. We have four of those books in our Bible in the New Testament. And Onesimus voluntarily went back with Tychicus to deliver those messages. And I wanted to go through that one letter with you in detail. And this is the, the letter to Philemon. If you want to find it in your scripture, again, it's between Titus and, and uh, Hebrews. Paul, a prisoner of Christ. Now, it's really interesting that Paul is a prisoner of Christ. Wait a minute. I thought he was in a Roman jail. Right? Paul did not view his circumstance as one where the Roman government placed him in a circumstance. He believed that God, that Jesus Christ had placed him there for a purpose. And quite frankly, that purpose is rather obvious to us today, is it not? Those letters that we possess in our scripture would not exist today had Paul not been in prison. So Paul was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And during that period of time, he corresponded to the churches. He says that 
with Timothy. And Timothy was probably scribing this at the time because Paul used to scribe his eyesight was failing him. To Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier. Who are these guys? Well, first off, we know that, that uh, Philemon is the individual who is, is the letter is addressed to, but it's also addressed to his wife and to his son, and get this, to the church that meets in his home. We learn a lot from this, do we not? Uh, the first thing we learn is, is that, that there's a church that's meeting in this rich person's home. So we know that the, the gospel had not just gotten to his head, but has gotten to his heart. He is now offering up his own home as a church, and he's ministering to other people. And Paul is a wise individual because he also addressed Philemon's wife, Aphia. In the Roman culture of the day, the woman was responsible for everything that took place in the household, including slaves that were in the household. And if Onesimus had been a household slave that was close enough to steal something, then don't you think Aphia would have responsibility for Onesimus? And as a result of that, Paul in his wisdom said, look, he understood a, <laughs> something we know here in Texas very well. And that is, if mama's not happy, what? Ain't nobody happy. <laughs> and so as a result, he was saying, I'm addressing this also to you and to your son. By the way, the son, we find in Col the book of Colossians, where he is actually a minister of the gospel. And he's being encouraged to continue in that ministry. By the way, the name Philemon means friendly. And that's really important because he's a friend of God. He's also a friend of Paul and later to be a friend of Onesimus and, and quite frankly, a friend to us. And we'll discover why that's the case later. So grace to you and peace. Did you know that grace must always start before you have genuine peace? And Paul knows that because he addresses that in his letter. For us to have peace in our life, we have to have the grace that's associated with a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So grace to you and peace. In Colossians, we see that Archippus is addressed here in this letter. It says, see to it that you complete your ministry uh, that's received. That these two books were received at the same time. You had Philemon and you had Colossians both in the hands of Philemon at the same time. So he's reading both of those and he's making them available to the church. Make certain that you've been studying. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing. I thank my God. Do you realize that the Apostle Paul, this isn't just a flippant prayer. The Apostle Paul has been discipling this man for years. He has grown to love him. And this is indicative of the fact that he's saying, you're in my prayers daily. And is that not what we need to be doing for those that we disciple? Don't we need to be praying for those that we have led to Christ or those that we are talking with uh, about Christ? And then those of you who are 
new believers in Christ, I can guarantee you the folks that have led you to Christ are praying for you, or people in this church that are praying for you. And we need to do that as a body. The prayers are important. Prayers of the saints are important toward those that were, that were leading to Christ. And that they would be affected. By the way, the word fellowship there is koinonia, which is a fellowship of the faith. It's not just one of, uh, uh, of, of, of getting together and having fun together. This is one of the fellowship of brothers in Christ. This is a deeper relationship that's associated. So Paul is reminding Philemon of this relationship. He's also conveying to him that we're praying for you. And he's also saying that I'm hearing about the fact that the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. That indicates that he knows the work that Philemon is doing within his church. He's communicated that to Philemon. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, rather I appeal to you since I'm such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He also reminds him again, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, not a prisoner of Rome. Uh, the age, a lot of folks will indicate that that's, he's trying to play on Philemon's sympathy. I'm an old man in prison. Perhaps that's the case. But the word that's used there is the same word that's used for episcopos or, or, or presbyterios, which means a, an elder. I am the one who's discipled you. Remember that. You owe that very self to me. That later he'll be saying to him. But he appeals to him since I'm such a person. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten imprisonment. Now this is an interesting point. He's actually using a metaphor here of birth. He gave a new life to Onesimus, and he's now his spiritual son. He's appealing to Paul based on that. So he's, he's really wanting him to get this relationship he has with Onesimus. It's the same relationship, Philemon, that I have with you. Remember that, Philemon? When you came to me and you didn't know God, and you came to know God, and then we didn't leave you just there. No, we began to teach you the things of God. You began to study the Scripture with me. And we began to pray together. We began to do life together. And as a result of that, we have now a bond of fellowship, a koinonia, something that is so tight and so, so that it can't be separated by distance. But guess what? I have that same relationship with Onesimus, your slave, the guy who robbed from you. You get that? It's pretty amazing what we see here in Scripture and how Paul is laying this as, I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances. It may encourage, that's, I'm sorry. In Colossians, he sends both Tychicus and Onesimus. And he sends Tychicus, and in the book of Colossians, same letter, you've got one letter here and you've got another letter, you're laying them out and you're reading them. And Tychicus, he's introducing to Philemon as a beloved brother. 
when he says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. But go down a little bit further. It's really interesting. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. He's not a slave. He's one of you. He's a beloved brother. When a slave is going to come into town after running away, what do you think is going to happen to the community? You think the community is going to say, oh, wow, this is really terrific. Here comes old Onesimus. He's been gone for a couple of years. Uh, let's uh, kill the fatted calf. He's a runaway slave. In Rome, a runaway slave had this to encounter if they were caught. First, they would be branded runaway across their forehead. Uh, if they were lucky, they would just be flogged, much like the Lord Jesus was flogged before his crucifixion. And then if master really wanted to do him in, he would sell him to the lead mines, which would be a fate worse than death. Or he could even have him crucified as an example for the other slaves. Uh, the Roman system had about 25 to 30% of its population were slaves. And so Philemon could have done any of those things and he was legally able to do that. But Paul here is saying something radical. So radical that it would just be incredible to, to be there at that time because there would be a gasp from the audience when you hear that Onesimus, a runaway slave, is one of you. He's on equal par with Tychicus, a minister of the gospel. You get that? That is so amazing to me that when I read that, I said, wow, that Lord, that, that just is amazing. So the Lord then revealed to me another interesting thing about me. And I was a runaway. Before I had Christ in my life, I was a runaway. And I had all the punishment due me of someone who did not have Christ because of the sin that was in my life. But because of what Jesus had done for me, I'm now one of you. I am now a follower of Christ. One who places my relationship with God first and not my relationship with myself first. So this is a plea for Onesimus that uh, Onesimus, I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, is now useful both to you and to me. Uh, Onesimus, the name Onesimus means useful or profitable. This is a play on his name. Paul in his letter says, Onesimus was not Onesimus to you, but now Onesimus is both Onesimus to you and to me. He was not useful to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. Isn't that cool? That we now are useful to God. We were not Onesimus to God before Christ. We were not Onesimus to the body of Christ before we had the Lord Jesus. And now because we have that, we are Onesimus both to the body of Christ and to God. I have sent to you back in person my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me. Paul is saying, I love this guy. And if you accept him, you're accepting him as if you're accepting me. And that's the way we should do with those who come. Now, let me tell you, 
it's really difficult for me when I look and I see somebody who's wronged me, especially if they're a non-believer. I can really kind of hold that in my heart. But then at some point, if that person becomes a believer or the Lord convicts me, I realize I've got to forgive them. And that's the position that Philemon's in. This Onesimus has embarrassed him. He's stolen from him. And now he's got to forgive him. And now, he's, now Paul is saying, I'm equating this guy to my very heart. I want you to accept him like you're accepting me. That's tough. That's, this is tough medicine for Philemon. And that he might, I wanted to keep him so he might serve me on your behalf. Uh, in those days, uh, a land or someone who owned slaves would send a slave on behalf of someone to do benefit for that person. Uh, for example, if you remember Jesus talking to the centurion who understood authority, when the centurion said, I can send this one to go do this and he will do that. I will send this one to do that. He's referring to this very concept whereby a person who owned a slave could send the slave to work on their behalf as if it was the slave owner doing the work. And that's what he's saying, that I could keep him because I know that you'd want him to serve me in my predicament. But Paul also acknowledges Philemon's rights. He says, but without your consent, I did not want to do anything. I didn't want to, I wanted it to be the goodness of your heart and not from compulsion. Later he tells us. The fact of the matter is that Paul wanted his disciple to act in a way that was worthy of the calling of Christ. He didn't want him to be under compulsion to do that. He wanted him to do it from what his heart, from what he's been taught. Uh, and he wanted it from his own free will. And so as a result, he says, perhaps for this reason, uh, he was separated from you for a while, but you would have him back forever. His departure was providential. You know, God can use our sin. He can use that situation that we've been in to glorify himself. I know that sounds harsh. It sounds weird, but it's a fact. If you listen to every testimony, you hear how sin has brought someone to a point where they have a relationship with Jesus Christ and that sin is forgiven. You see those circumstances in life that move a person and every testimony is so unique to that person. Have you noticed you've never heard a single testimony that's the same? Every testimony is unique to that person because their circumstances, the Holy Spirit moves them in a way that they would come to a point where they receive the message and they accept that message. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, perhaps it was providential. It led to his conversion. And now you have a helper. You have someone who's greater than a slave. You have someone who's no longer a slave, but a beloved brother. Beloved brother. Can you believe this? Now, imagine what's going on. The dynamic. Onesimus coming into town. People talking. Slave owners saying, what? Give him the fatted cow or make him the fatted cow. You know, take him, crucify him, beat him, uh, sell him to the land, uh, you know, to the land mines. Do anything but accept him as a beloved brother. This is revolutionary. Especially, he says, a beloved brother, especially for me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? 
little did Philemon know that he would become a blessing not just to Philemon, but a blessing to us as well in this, in this congregation. Because without Philemon, some things would not have occurred. Uh, Paul did provide some air cover. Because in the book of Colossians, again going back to that book, what we find is that masters provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So he's telling the community that this is addressed because of Philemon uh, and because of Onesimus, for for certain, I I believe it is. And Colossians, uh, this was delivered the same time that that book was delivered. Now, Paul goes on in his letter, says, If then you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would accept me. Again, this is radical. Accept him as if you would accept me. In other words, he is my emissary. He is my very heart. This is my son I'm sending you. So accept him in the same manner that you would accept me. If you had put me in the best guest room, put him in the best guest room. If you would throw a party receiving him or receiving me, you would do the same for him. Do everything as if you would receive me. But if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me even yourself as well. Paul writes an IOU note here. Whatever he stole from you, I'll repay it. Wherever he's wronged you, I'll make amends for that. He's standing up for Onesimus. Do you know of anything else in our lives that's like this? This is a picture, beautiful picture of intercession of what the Lord Jesus does for us. See, Paul is interceding on behalf of Onesimus to Philemon, is he not? He's saying, whatever he's done, I will repay it. And every day and every night, Satan is standing before the throne room of God. And he is saying, Hey, Don Jones, you know him, you know, that sinner, <laughs> this guy here, he is accusing me before the father. And at the same time, I have someone interceding for me. I have Lord Jesus saying, charge it to my account. It's been paid for. That's what Paul's doing here. He is standing in the breach in the same way that Jesus does for us. He is standing in the breach on behalf of Onesimus. And he's going on to say, hey, oh, by the way, just to let you know, I want to remind you that you yourself would not know the Lord had it not been for our relationship. So if you want to charge me, go ahead. But just remember, you know, uh, you're going to have have a conversation about that. But let me benefit from you and refresh my heart in Christ. I think that Philemon must have really got the message there. That how can we hold something against someone else when we ourselves have so much to be forgiven for? Isn't that true? And forgiveness is that way. If we look at it from a perspective of, hey, if I had to weigh the things on my life versus someone else's, uh, the things I know, I know that it would be kind of like that. And I would, I would be in a point, position of not being able to uh, 
really accuse that person. So I, I really need to forgive them. And that's why the Lord says, how often should we forgive someone? 70 times 7. It's not a number. That means forever. <laughs> forgive them. But that doesn't mean you have to forget. It just means that you forgive. Because we'd be really foolish if we forgave and forgot because then we'd repeat the pattern over and over again. So this is truly a picture of grace. Paul's intercession on behalf of Onesimus to Philemon is like Christ's intercession on our behalf uh, to, the, to God the Father. Uh, Paul said to Philemon, whatever Onesimus stole from you, I will repay it. Uh, this is exactly Christ's intercession for us to the Father. Whatever we have done, it's been paid for. And just like Onesimus in the book of Philemon, we are once not Onesimus, uh, not useful, but we're now Onesimus, useful to God when we have Christ. So put it down to my account. That's what the Lord's saying. So having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than I ask. Huh. Perhaps more would be Onesimus given his freedom. Some people have believed that may be the case. Uh, some of the history proved that might be the case indeed. Uh, and I know that you'll do even more than I, than I say. At the same time, also prepare a lodging, and I hope that through your prayers, I will be given to you. Uh, you see, there's a guy by the name of Epaphras who was there at the time that this letter was written. Epaphras actually was the pastor of the church in Colossae and had come to Rome and was with Paul at the time that this letter was written. So Epaphras more than likely had communicated to Paul that they were praying for Paul. So they knew that this prayer exchange is going on. Epaphras, a fellow prisoner in Christ, greets you, as do Mark, Archippus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Uh, Epaphras uh, was a disciple who came to know Christ under Paul and then later went to Colossae, probably helped establish that church with Philemon. So what are some of the applications we can get out of this? First of all, don't run. <laughs> you can run, but you can't hide. So don't run from your problems. They'll still be there. They'll come catch you, won't they? Second thing is seek forgiveness, restore relationships, and then become Onesimus. Be useful. Uh, this is what I really try to strive to do myself. I, I really want to seek, be a forgiving person. I uh, find it difficult and sometimes, especially with some of the political things going on, really hard for me to pray about that, but I still try. Uh, restore relationships and yet be Onesimus. Be useful to the Lord. Uh, when others have wronged us, be Philemon to them. Be willing to accept that person. Accept that forgiveness. Help them become useful in the kingdom. Uh, Brown and uh, all the guys over at Celebrate Recovery, man, they do a great job of that. They do a great job of discipleship and, and helping people become Onesimus. Uh, get away from where they were. Getting into that discipleship mode. By the way, we can only live sent. And then we've been talking about living sent. Dave uh, is, has, has a great theme with this. We can only live sent, be live sent when we become Onesimus to God and to others. 
So only until we get into that state of forgiveness, state of reconciliation, and the point where we become useful, that we can become useful enough to be sent and be Onesimus. You know, a lot of people ask me when I've, I've done this, this particular series, they ask me, whatever happened to Onesimus? Because in the scripture, it doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us if Philemon beat him, branded him, crucified him, set him to the lead mines, or what they did to him. So I started doing a little bit of work. And the internet's good for some things, not so good for others. But it's, it's certainly good for this. Onesimus, first of all, we know that in the book of Colossians, he's called out as a church leader by Paul. So Paul says, hey, he's one of us. He's a minister of the gospel. Receive him as he would receive me. So there's a real strong uh, uh, reference that Paul is giving him to the folks there in Colossae and also the people in Ephesus and all the other churches around because everyone else is going to read these same letters. But there's another interesting thing I found. This is what I found on the internet. Uh, and actually, I was talking to my son, Nathan. By the way, Nathan and his family are here. I appreciate you guys being here this morning. Uh, and that is with Ignatius. Uh, my son did a lot of reading on the, on the early church and had a lot of conversation about it. So it led me to go dig in there myself. And Ignatius was a disciple of the apostle John. And he identifies Onesimus in his writings as an effective bishop of Ephesus. Whoa. So this is what I found. This is from a letter. For, this didn't make scripture. Okay, but this is church history. Uh, it's, it's legitimate documentation, but it is not from the scripture. Uh, but I think it's still valid. Uh, I received, therefore, your number body in the name of God and the person of Onesimus. And, and by the way, Ignatius, as I said, was a, a disciple of John the Apostle, and he was a, a church leader at the time. And so there was a delegation, apparently, that came from Ephesus to meet with him. And along with them was Onesimus, whose love surpasses words, who is besides in the flesh your bishop. Get that? He's his bishop. He's, he's risen to the level of being over the churches that are in Ephesus. I pray that you may love him with a love according to Jesus Christ and that you may all be like him. For blessed is he who granted unto you, worthy as you are, to possess such a bishop. Isn't that amazing? That's cool. Here's a guy who was a slave. And now God has used him in such an incredible, miraculous way. So forgiveness brought about reconciliation. And reconciliation brought about usefulness and profitability. And so Ones he now is Onesimus. In fact, Onesimus, in Ephesus, it was a center where all of the documents of the early church were gathered together. Uh, they gathered them all together in a little library. And out of that library, this former slave perhaps may have been involved in helping put together what we have today as the Word of God. He may have been involved in assembling those letters and placing them there. And some believe that the reason a single personal letter is slotted between Titus and Hebrews, between a letter 
that is to leaders of the church, to the doctrinal truths of the church, is slotted this one little personal letter dealing with forgiveness, reconciliation, and usefulness. Because you can be a, a leader in the church, and if you're not following Scripture, you're not there. But I can tell you, if you don't have forgiveness in your heart, and you don't have reconciliation, how can you possibly be useful? That's pretty amazing. So as we, uh, as we leave here this morning, I want you to consider, is there someone in your life, someone in your life, you need to forget. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you if, on a little piece of paper when I'm praying in just a moment. I want you to write the name of that person down. I want you to act on it. I don't want you to just listen to words. I want you to become Philemon to that person. I want you to forgive them. And if there's an individual whom you need to seek reconciliation with, why don't you write that down? And I want you to become Onesimus to that person. And I want you to seek that reconciliation that's so important to you and to that person. And then I want you to be useful. I want you to live sent. Just as our pastor is saying to us so often, live sent. We've got such a short time here. The older time I get, the more I realize that I have just days, I have weeks. I, I, they're, they're going by so quickly. And I realize that the time is so short. I've got to be useful. I've got to be useful for the Lord. I want to be useful for the church. I want to be useful to you as my family. And so I want you to write how you can be useful. And then I want you to act on those things. I don't want you to just write them down. But when you write them down, that's a starting point. 